When you look at the TV or you listen to the singers you hear on the radio, do you see or do you hear people that look and sound like you and your friends? Or do you see a different culture, a different taste, aesthetic, something that makes you feel like you're unlike others? Most people. Now that we have smartphones, we can choose to follow those whom we either aspire to be or have similar ways of being in the world. Yeah, there was a time not too long ago, and it's probably still true for many people, where if you lived in Australia and you weren't Anglo, you rarely saw yourself reflected in the culture around you. And when those moments do show up, when you do see someone that you can resonate with and go, hey, that person's kind of like me. Those moments can change your life. And that's exactly what happened to my guest this week. How Watu Kefu. How is a true legend of the Australian music industry, a man who is one of the cornerstones of hip-hop culture in our country, an ARIA winner with his band Coolism, a man who was the voice of hip-hop on Triple J for over a decade, a man whose mentor to musicians that are changing the game right now, including the devastating Western Sydney drill rap powerhouse, 1-4. It's such a good conversation. It's about growing up as a part of the Pacific diaspora in Queen Bien. It's about music. It's about family. It's about bloody hard work. All of which Howe has written about in his brand new book, King. It's a great chat. And I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, we're going to play some ads. Because we've got to keep the lights on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I had to work, you know, like uh, for when I first moved to Sydney, uh, you know. We had just won an ARIA award, but I was working retail. You know, like that's just what you have to do. Like by any means, you you, you work to support your dreams or, or your passion, and just knowing that and knowing that is fine as well. You know, because I think there's a you know a, a kind of shame like you 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 know you're just, you're a rapper, but then you, you're a tradie at the same time. It's like no, that's that's like you said, that's just the way it is. 
and you know there are very few that get to live off purely off making music I didn't know it was going to be on radio I didn't know uh, hell you know, there's no way I thought I was ever going to write a book but these opportunities came up and I, and I took them and it was because I would constantly work whether it's retail or you know like mixing concrete I, I did what I needed to do in order to um, keep this passion alive because that's what made me truly happy that is Australian hip hop legend Howler Takefu and this is Osher Ginsberg better than yesterday Hello and welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is Better Than Yesterday. Uh, this is a podcast that's just here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. It does what it says on the box, something you hear on this show, and every show will do just that. We've been here since 2013, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays with a guest, and Fridays I'm here with you. I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm an electric mobility enthusiast. I'm a <laughs> motorbike rider. I don't know what else am I. I'm sitting here in a pair of Kevlar jeans uh, after a very long day, and I'm um, I'm grateful to be sitting here with you. We have gigs coming up. We have gigs on the way. Thank. Finally, we are going to be able to do some live shows again. Tickets are on sale right now. The link is in the uh, show notes of this podcast right now. It's not a podcast. It's not a podcast show. This is a show called NTN NNN. Nighttime News Network National Nightly News. Real stories, fake news, live on stage. Because the news is horrible at the moment. So I created a fake news show, a satirical news show, so that we could all get our news together. And at the same time, I don't know, have a laugh about the preposterous position we find ourselves in. It is the actual news of the day, so don't worry, you'll get the news. And no two shows will ever be the same because it's the news of the day. Uh, the first show is Friday the 27th of January at the Factory Theatre in Marrickville. I think there's four Fridays on sale right now. 7 p.m. is the gig. It's 20 bucks. We made it as cheap as we could. Make a night of it. There's a great bar there at the factory. There's great food there. And look, it's an, we'll be done by 8 p.m. because that's pretty much when the band start. if there's a band downstairs or whatever. So you can chiff off and go get dinner on King Street down in Newtown afterwards. We can all go to Taipatong together. Seats 400 we should fit. Uh, tickets are on sale right now. I'm trying to line up some special guests. Well, I've got all the text out. I'm waiting for people to kind of firm it up a bit. But yeah, there's hopefully there's special guests showing up. It'll be a cracker of a night. Look, nobody was going to give my dream late night fake news TV show. So I've made one. It's really fun. It's really good. And I can't wait for you to see it. You can find the link to get the tickets. Like I said, it's only 20 bucks. It's on Friday, January 27. And then I think the following four Fridays after that. And, uh, Hopefully, if it goes well enough, we'll get it into um, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. So, fingers crossed. Come and help us make that happen. If you can come to these shows, you can help us then get to Melbourne because there's Melbourne people that want shows. If you make these shows good, then we can go, hey, Melbourne, look, people like these shows. Can you please book us into your comedy festival that's really packed? And hopefully, we'll be right. So, yeah, come along. Tickets are in the uh, in the show notes. It's only 20 bucks. Uh, I can't wait to see you there. Speaking of gigs, I don't know if you've had the pleasure of seeing my guest play live, but boy, oh, boy. Let me tell you about my guest today. Hal Latakafu is a legend of the Australian music industry. He is an absolute 
you know, like foundational piece of hip hop and hip hop culture in Australia, with his band Coolism as the voice of hip hop on in Australia on Triple J for more than a decade, as a man who mentored one four in and out of prison, How has an absolutely brilliant story. He is just the sweetest, sweetest man. He's humble. He's profound in the way he speaks about his deep love of his family, his deep love of music, his deep love of his, his country and, and how hard, how hard he will work to keep music in his life. Howe's written a book about his experience. It's called King. It's out right now. You don't have to be into hip hop to enjoy it. But boy, the music that goes through this book is amazing. Uh, I was playing Spotify the whole way through it. It's so cool. While you search for how to buy Hal's new book, H-A-U-L-A-T-U-K-E-F-U, it's called King. While you search for that, let's catch up with Hal Latukefu. I'm so fucking stoked to speak with you today, Hal, because we kind of had slightly kind of parallel journeys yeah. along this music lot, yeah along this music I industry mean, I, I grew up watching you on channel v <laughs> you know, and i know you're close with dave dave and catch and that oh now know, here's the thing like, man i was i was gonna throw a surprise you away because i'm like sometimes i try to find a way that i can connect with the people i talk to in this pod but there's never been anyone on the podcast that i can say i've played in the same band as you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those guys oh, changed my yeah. life. We're talking no. about you. You you uh, did a track with Resin Dogs, Dave Atkins, and uh, DJ Catch, two absolute gods mm. of um, hip hop in Brisbane and now Northern New South Wales. Yeah, and I used to play double bass for them for a couple, like, maybe about a year or so. Yeah. And uh, like growing up and reading your book, King, you know, it's, it's I, I was seeing the same cultural inputs you were seeing. I didn't have the mixtape black market kind of, you know situation mm-hmm. that, that you did to open my eyes to some of the other music that you were having but I, I certainly saw the films and rented the videos and saw what was on telly at the time and I remember when I first uh, Dave produced that my band's second CD and I played double bass on it and he said man come I'm just doing this jam thing with Catch come come play and I stood <laughs> in this rehearsal room in the valley it was just me Dave on drums and DJ Catch there was no rapper at that point how, uh, how old were you at this time fuck you like Teenager? Nah, it's 95. I was 21. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. And 21, 22. And I was like, this is the f- this is it. This is everything. And I was I was playing in a funk metal band at the time. I was playing five string basses and yeah. doing seven, eight songs. And you know, I wanted to be Les Claypool and Soundgarden yeah. at the same time. And I sat with these guys just locking into Dave's hi-hat. Was, he was the greatest drummer I'd ever seen in my <laughs> life. And I couldn't yeah, believe that my crazy. musical hero wanted me to play in his band. And I was like that three hours in that rehearsal room was like, this is the fucking greatest thing. I've. It was just transcendent. All right. They ended up getting a guy mm. who's a far better bass player than me, Chris Posley, and they went on to uh, write, yeah, write for international yeah. like <laughs> acclaim. But I, I'll never, ever forget being in that room and it was just catch – uh, with vinyl, there was no sequencer at that point, and Dave on drums with me on double bass, and it was like just, it was just uh, amazing. And wow, yeah, I wish I could have been better as a bass player <laughs> and probably um, <laughs> tried. To, if I took my here's the thing, here's the thing, how I wrote about this in, in my book. Um, it's like if I had taken my double bass playing as seriously as I'd taken my drinking and drug taking, I probably would have still been in that band. 
Uh, <laughs> but that's a long story. But I don't know, man. You know, I think, I mean, obviously, you, you feel the way you feel, but so, you know, it's not a bad detour. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is. Look, bro, I've got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you've written a book because it documents two extraordinary things in Australia. It, it documents the, extra, the, the, the experience of the Pacific Island diaspora in our country, one of which I um, have come to know. My wife's from Fiji. They came here after the big coup in 87. Yeah. And yeah. I've spent a lot of time in the Pacific Islands, spent time in Tonga. I spent time, I haven't been to Samoa yet. And, you know, it also documents this. I have a story. It's my story. I'm, I'm not able to tell it, you know, it doesn't sound like a Slim Dusty song. It doesn't sound like an Angel song. It doesn't sound like a Crowded House song. Oh, it sounds like that. Right. Mm. And that's it's, – it's such a beautifully written book. And the warmth and love oh, of the – mate, the warmth and love of the family barbecues that you describe <laughs> is exactly what I have experienced, um, you know, in the time that I've known Audrey and, and her family – and in the early days when there's so too many to so everyone's auntie and uncle, fine. <laughs> everyone's cousin. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of, you know, we're going to ha- ha- eat this pig from hoof to snout, like, no, all right. Uh, it's just yeah. in- incredible, man. And and then, you know, when we talk about that, that you've talked about your music career, uh, you know, t- to to have been, you know, just kind of almost like riding in s- separate lanes on the same freeway, you know, and that you took over from my friend, our friend, Maya Jupiter on the hip hop show on Triple mm-hmm. J and would have, you know, been the voice of of hip hop and this this beautiful language that has allowed so many people in our country to express themselves and to find ah oh, resonance and like that's more like me than that. Mm. Uh, it's you know you play such an important role in this country. So firstly like thanks heaps for for writing the book. Um and I think oh, I'm man. I'm humbled thank you. Dude like it's it, you can't understate how important you have been in, in our cultures in our, in our, in our country's culture but that's just, that's just after i've just had to tell you that shit after after reading it but the other thing i have to tell thank you thank you i appreciate that the the man that produces this podcast uh, andy ma went to school with you andy ma andy ma well, how how is where is this connected? in your you're in the same music class in queenbian yeah but where's the connection with he produces uh, this podcast. You, like, he he cuts this show. He's been cutting yeah. and producing this show for six years now. So how did, but how did you meet? Like how did I don't? Yeah. How did I meet I Andy? Mean, that, blows, that that blows my yeah yeah. Uh, Andy used to work on Take Forty Australia. He would edit uh, right, Take Forty right. Australia when he worked at MCM, and reached out to me um, after yeah. he went solo. Like you know many forward-thinking people in the radio industry, they're like, mm, podcasting. And so he, he made the move quite early. He's gone indie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's, you know, he's exceptional. Uh, he's now way, way too busy to, for, you know, he's, sorry, not way too busy, andymar.com is still accepting clients. Uh, he's, you know, he's very busy because he's fucking good at what he does, man. But. Yeah. Yeah, wow. It, it did make me think. I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, but it did make me think, like, why Queen Bian? Because you're, you're not the only person to come out. There's like a bunch of people who come out of Queen Bian. What is mm. it about Queen Bian? Why? It's just. I don't know. I, we, have, we have a running joke about, you know, Per Capita Queen Bian is probably producing most of the, you know, great talents coming out. 
Uh, but I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, obviously Mark Webber, you know, is from Queanbeyan. You know, the amount of rugby league and union players coming out of Queanbeyan. You know, George Lazenby, of course. Andy Ma, you know, <laughs> Omar, Omar Musa. Yeah, Omar you know, bin Musa. Well, like that's the other one I was thinking of. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's kind of something, isn't it? it? It is it because to to get out of Queanbeyan, you have to reach an escape velocity that is just so at such a propulsion. <laughs> well, by the yeah. time you get to Sydney, people are like, "Whoa!" and you're just undeniable. Yeah, I, th- I think it is that the isolation did play a big big part. You know, because. We're rural New South Wales, country New South Wales, really. We're a town that's on the border of, of Canberra, so we weren't quite part of, you know, Sydney or, you know, wider Sydney or, New, you know, and we weren't part of Canberra. You know, you say you're from Queanbeyan, you know, when you're in Canberra, and people are like, oh, Queanbeyan. You know, they're like trying to skedaddle you back across the border, you know. <laughs> so I think it really was, you know, it just – that isolation allowed you to really uh, hone your craft. And, mm. you know, if you're not playing sports in winter, you're, you're inside pretty much just freezing there. When, and I love the fact that you wrote in your, your, your book, like you, your family was the first family from your part of the world to, to land in Queen Bean. It's like, you know, we're landing yeah. on fucking Mars. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. You know, to be, you know, my, my mom came over when she was 17, you know, to, to study nursing. And I think about, you know, when you're growing up, you, you, you hear those stories and you're just like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's not until you get older, especially when you have kids, you're like, wow, 17, you're still, I mean, at 17, you think you can take on the world. But as you get older, you realize like 17 is still a baby. Yeah. And you know, especially in the sixties and moving from Tonga to Leeton, where she where she went to, yeah. like that is like rural New South Wales and yeah, yeah it's just it's, it's an amazing accomplishment, you know, and the father as well, you know, coming over you know, any anyone that has come from out, you know, any any country to moving to to Australia at such a young age, you know, is, is wild. When your parents talk about like seventeen years old and coming from Tonga, like very clearly, you know, wearing clothes that are probably made by an auntie, um, mm. you know, d- how does she describe what the country was like? Yeah, she said it was a, definitely a culture shock, um, but she had some some great friends there. Mm. And, um, and she had uh, some wonderful people looking after her that she would call her mom and dad as well. Right. You know? and yeah. I remember as a kid, my mom would say, "Oh, this is this is like mom, dad is like two white country people." I was like, "What?" Yeah. And but she'd explain like, you know, they they really looked after me when I came, and and like parents to her, and you know, of course she she ran into you know some racism, you know, some ignorance, and but you know, I guess that kind of helped build some resilience, and you know, um, and you know, she's just very ambitious and and. Yeah, she 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 loved the country life. Your home when you were a little sounds like a, a a place of just so much noise and and love and music <laughs> and constant smell of cooking. Yeah, well, you know, I was very fortunate that my my dad cooked as well. You know, and I often credit him for the for the man I've become today because you know my mom again very ambitious took herself to uni later on in life 
And while she was away, my dad would, would hold the fort down. You know, he'd work, he'd paint and decorate, and then come home, clean, cook. Um, and I grew up watching him do that. And so there was no real kind of designated roles in our in our house. So I thank my dad for that. But yeah, he, he would cook a lot, and my mom would cook a lot. And yeah. yeah, obviously music played a big part. My sister's four years older, so she got me into uh-huh. like Duran Duran and you know, the Thompson twins and how, um, you know, obviously like the Michael Jacksons and Madonna's and all that sort of stuff. And my dad loved country music yeah. as well. And so it was, yeah, it was surrounded. And most importantly, it was, it was a safe space. You yeah. Know? There was a lot of love in there, you know, and my parents be married 50 years. So I've grown up watching them, you know, like, um, uh, be that foundation yeah. for us and for, for themselves. There's, there's a, there's a, maybe people who aren't, I've never been enough, like a misconception about Pacific Island communities. Like country is fucking on in, like you'll, you'll be, <laughs> it is. you know, but you'll be listening to Black yeah. Rose one second and then you'll be listening to Hank Williams the next. Like, and everyone know all the words to everything. Yeah. I, I grew up just thinking, oh, dad just likes country. I don't know why, but you know, in Queen Bean, there's a, you know, QBN FM and they played a lot of country and, and I just never understood why, but it just, it was what it was. And then I realized that a lot of Tongan music sounds similar to country. Oh. Like there's a lot of banjos, a lot of sly guitars and uh, the melodies. And I, was, I clicked. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. But yeah, it was, it was just funny sometimes driving, you know, he'd drive me to the rugby and he'd just be playing country. And I was like, yeah. This music's not really amping me up, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, when I took when I used to take G to water polo when she she's finished high school now, but when I used to drive her to water polo, she'd be like, "Got to get my playlist on," and like she'd have an amp up like it was like before the wrestling. You know, water polo's like <laughs> rug, rugby and yeah, you know yeah. water rugby, and she, it was like a wrestler walking. Yeah. Out. It was awesome. I used to love it. There's this great there's this great line in the book which. I mean, it was true for you as a kid in the 80s, and it's, oh, damn, mate, it's just, it's true today, unfortunately, uh, that racism and rugby are two of Australia's favourite things. Very occasionally, <laughs> one can cancel the other out. And yeah, yeah. I read that, and I just stopped. I was like, oh, shit. You know, just considering, you know, who's playing for who in the Rugby League World Cup, it's like, oh, yes, it's, fuck, it's 2022. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it kind of made me kind of happy, like pain made me sad <laughs> that something that was real for you when you were less than 10 years old is still real now. Yeah, it, it was interesting though. I, I, I felt like, I mean, you know, it's like, like Australia's sports mad, you know, and I feel like I said in the book, you know, I feel like we had a that was our way into into society into community mm. you know yeah we'd be great on the rugby field maybe a bit different off but you know once you kind of felt like you gained people's respect through through sport you know it made it, I, I feel like it made it a bit easier to i guess assimilate you know where, yeah. whereas a lot of people that didn't come from you know rugby rugby union playing nations you know had, yeah. had it tougher um you know especially you know, my friends, Italian friends and Greek friends, all playing football, like playing soccer. Yeah, and you know, you know, like during the eighties, they just call it wogwall, and I was just like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> like yeah. people just didn't understand the sport, and, and were kind of almost ostracized. And yeah, 
I think playing rugby union kind of allowed me to be like, not allowed me, but people you know, tend to see me in a different light. I guess, you know, when I think about when you just listen to you say that right there, it's like, well, I guess it's, it's a, it's a visual language that people could understand. You know, we can, yeah. we can watch the it's way someone. It's a common ground. Yeah. yeah. But also we can watch the way someone plays the ball. We can go, oh yeah, I would have done that. Or actually pretty good move. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, mm-hmm. it's, it's a visual, it's a form of, uh, you know, what sign language, sign language is I'm moving my hands and my body in a particular way to convey an, 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 an idea. You know, it's, there's yeah. ways that you can watch a great rugby player and you can kind of go, oh, I can see what's going inside that person's head just by the way yeah, they're moving, by the way, yeah. they sh- by the way their shoulder moves when they see the halfback come their way. Oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's what it, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like throwing it out there. Maybe that's what it is. There's there's a moment in in the book which I'm so grateful you wrote because I, I think in a hundred years from now we'll look back on this moment and go, and that is where the lightning struck and created glass, and then that's where someone picked it up and went, <laughs> oh, this is hot sand. If I heat this hard enough, I can make glass. Boom. Now we've got glasses, magnifying glasses. We've got telescopes. We can see this. We can see our place in the universe all from this one fucking thing, right? Which is what happened. Mm-hmm. In Australia, I think we saw it on Countdown. In America, because they didn't play the video on TV, in America they saw it at the 1983 Grammys. It was um, Herbie Hancock's rocket. This, yeah, this rocket. M- moment, this moment in time when the record scratch first happened. <laughs> And it it literally tears music in two at that moment. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time you saw it? You, you know what? I remember watching that, and I totally forgot about that. <laughs> and you just reminded me of of seeing that because they did have the robots in there too, right? Like yeah. in that live performance, they were and, they were pneumatic. Yeah, they I, were they were running off yeah, air, yeah. so it was really creepy. Yeah, I wrote about a lot of those moments and, you know, Herbie Hancock rocket was, you know, because you'd see hip hop in different songs like Blondie, you know, like Rapture, it wasn't a full hip hop song, but obviously had the rapping and the video had the graffiti and uh, you'd see it, Malcolm McLaren, you know, with the dancing and the fashion. And, and again, with Herbie Hancock and, and rocket, uh, even like Shaq Khan, you know, like, yeah. for you, like you see the scratching and the dancing and yeah, all of that, really intrigued me and and then seeing Rocksteady crew you know like just dan- dancing in like all matching outfits looking like Motown but you know like top rocking and you know yeah. doing groundwork and, and yeah it was just super fascinating and just you know my sister was into it first obviously and then I followed yeah. and oh, bro like, I just I can't you know fully explain that I mean you probably felt the same too you know when you saw it you're just like, what the hell is this? Like, I, I, I want this. I need to be a part of this. How do I do it? Like, I, yeah. I need to get into it. And, you know, growing up in Queen Bee, and unfortunately, we couldn't, you know, we didn't have the music. Had to go to other cities to buy it. But, um, but yeah, those moments were super special. And, and you know, shout out to Molly Meldrum. He did an interview with, with Rocksteady Crew. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome to see. It, it's, it, it really is people like, I mean, Deborah Harry had – Debbie Harry had no business rapping. And if you listen to the rap, it's like what a, she just found words that rhymed. <laughs> yeah. Yet yeah. it was safe enough for people to, because at the time, uh, you know, uh, anyone who was not white 
rapping on television was terrifying. Like actually, yeah. actually terrifying. Like we need to put it, yeah. this is only after 10 o'clock at night. We, we can't have this. And so here's this, here's this white woman, very white woman, ra- rapping. And I mm. could argue as well that Freddie Mercury, another one bites the dust. Like he'd been spending a lot of time in New right. York. He'd been spending yeah. a lot of time in New York. And here's this kind of, oh, it's the same riff. It's the same loop yeah. over and over and over again. And here he is in the rhyme, in the beat, on the yeah, beat. In pocket, yeah, um, But so, oh, here's this thing. And it became kind of, you know, more, more accessible. Um, but I'm a, I say it all the time in the show, you can't beat weak. You can't be what you can't see. And so when I watch telly, yeah. I see other white people doing stuff and I oh, I can do that. As a young Tong yeah. as a young Tong and kid in Queanbeyan, like you would never see anyone who looks like you on telly. <laughs> no. Nah. And that and that's why I take my role very seriously, because I understand representation matters. You know, just being in certain spaces and showing your face in there and having people, you know, because I grew up like that, like exactly what you said, you know, watching TV. The only times you would see a Pacific Islanders, you know, maybe on the football field, maybe on the news, but you know, even in newspaper and media in general, you would never see it. And yeah, and you just didn't feel like you can achieve certain things. And but that's why, yeah, when I ventured out and was, you know, on radio and you know, in the not only as an artist but actually in the record label office and. It, it was important to me to, to you know, kind of break down a lot of doors and 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 then more importantly, reach back, yeah, and and encourage others to to follow suit, you know, and and learn from what I had learned and then take it further. That's the thing. It's like being a parent, you know. That's your ideal goal, isn't it? Like for your for your kids to build on what you built and then take it further. And, and it's, it's when we say it to all our kids, you know, it's like, listen, like I'm telling you this because I learned it and and I learned it because it hurt a lot. It cost me a lot of money. I had to spend time in hospital. I don't know, whatever. It's like, but I want to save you all that by telling you just do this and do that. Mm. Okay. You can find out the hard way, but I'm just trying to save you time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that, well, that's the important thing I, I learned being a mentor was was doing that. But then understanding they need to find out in their own time, you know, because yeah. uh, everyone takes their journey differently. And I would get, you know, mentoring a lot of young artists, I would get, yeah. like, offended if I say, look, yeah, you can do that, but I think you should do this because if you do that, this is going to happen. And then, of course, they go do it, and that happens. And I was like, man, I told you. But then I realized that like, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't say, I told you so, and then make them feel even worse so i just had to learn like you just have to present yeah. the the options and then they have to you know because i just feel a lot better too if they make their own decisions and i feel that they're able to sit with their own mistakes instead of the makes instead of the mistakes that you uh, made them have that's that's what that's one part of either parenting or mentoring is the try, try, trying to help people basically start where you finished. You know, I got here, yeah. uh, you know, cost me a lot of money or great injury or broken relationships or broken hearts or whatever. So this is where I ended up with everything I know. Here, here's everything I know. Go from there. Uh, that's one yeah. side of it. The The other side of it is affirmation, is going, yeah, that's that's really good. Whatever you're doing, just keep, keep doing more of that. Yeah. 
I'm guessing you didn't have a hip hop mentor uh, early on, but you wrote with such love, and I and I think it's super important because it happened to me. You wrote with such love about the teacher that you performed for, like you asked to do a poem. Um, you may have leaned quite heavily on iced tea for inspiration, <laughs> but just, just lightly. Yeah. The af- the affirmation of that teacher in that moment of you standing in mm. front of a class, essentially rapping. What what did that do for you? Yeah, it was it was that you know the affirmation is important. Um, you know, even though it wasn't my rhymes, but the fact that he he thought it was and it was very encouraging. And that's what a lot of my approach to mentoring is, is like, hey, I, I see you. You're doing awesome. If you need anything, hit me back. And, and that's what I felt like with that teacher. It was very encouraging. And that there is nothing like uh, encouragement from someone you, you look up to or hold in, in high regard. And it just gives you the extra energy to be like, all right, this is sweet. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the way. I'm on the right path. Did you ever get a chance to tell us till you did that? No, no, I actually interviewed Ice T. You know, he's he's definitely one for the bucket list. But yeah, man, yeah, writing this book, I, I, you know, I've always been a fan of Ice T. But writing this book, I didn't realize how much a part of the story he is. You know, like there's a, I wrote in the book the time about school social and bugging the DJ to play on your pusher, and then that moment of like taking his rhymes for my poetry, and and what, and the first concert I saw as a seventeen year old. Was at ANU Public Enemy and Ice T. Oh my and, you know, god! My cousin was working. Yeah, my cousin was working at the door, and he's like, uh, "Okay, come in." And yeah, it was amazing. You know, it was for me that was at their height. You know, like watching those guys perform, arguably some of the best to ever do it, and that just blew my mind. You know, that what what tour was it? Were the was it the Apocalypse ninety one or Fear of a Black Planet? No. I th- yeah, I think it was Fear of a Black Planet. Right. Because it would have been, yeah, 91-ish, 92, something like that. I think I, I was uh, still at high school. And, unbel- yeah, like, for, that's you know. e- like as that as your first gig, to go, oh, here yeah, I am. Yeah. Here I am, and there's S1Ws on stage. Like, this is yeah. un-fucking cool. That, that was like a, quite a, I mean, compared to all the shows you see him, the big stage, you know, A&U was a small stage, but... Still had the S1Ws there doing their routines, Terminator X, like Flavor Flav, jumping all around the place. It was wild. And as a 17-year-old kid that's kind of discovering himself and delving deeper into hip-hop, my mind was blown. There's probably plenty of other people in Queanbeyan. Like, we all saw this. Like I said, it was a time <laughs> of, of cultural scarcity. So we all you know, saw the same kind of music videos on TV. We all heard the same Mm -hmm. songs on the radio. We might have circulated similar mixtapes, but not everyone became what you became, How? Where did work ethic come into it? Uh, I think, you know, I was talking to someone about the other day, you know, I think once you've, I was very very fortunate to discover my passion early, you know, like hip-hop, music in general, I loved it. And And like you said, so did everyone else. But then in high school, I was like, I'm going to be a rapper. That's all I'm going to be. Either a rapper or play for the Wallabies. Like, that was my Two my pretty fucking good and, ideas, man. I'm down with that. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. I was aiming high, you know. And, um, and yeah, so from high school, you know, I, you know it, it's, un, it's unfortunate because we do, uh, you know, especially myself when I'm teaching kids, like, 
teaching, you know, uh, selflessness, you know, it, it's important. But, you know, when you, when you figure out your passion and you know what you want to do, you, you, you tend, you become selfish because that's, you know, you're blocking out everything and not, not, I don't want to do that. No, I'm, I'm going to be a rapper. I'm just tunnel visions and that. And, and it's, it's because of the passion and because I loved it. I, you know, I didn't know it was going to be a career. Like I didn't care. It was going to be a career. I just wanted, that's all I wanted to do was rap. And, and we'll just constantly every day writing sometimes a line, two lines, you know, verse, maybe a whole song, but constantly. And I still have a lot of the exercise books that I had throughout high school years. And in my backpack would be school books and rhyme book and, and a Walkman, you know, later became a discman. And, uh, that, that was it. I just wanted to, to be a rapper and, you know, released my first tape in year 12 as a 17 year old kid. And, uh, from then it's like, that's the first step. I've released a tape and that tape was at our local record store, impact records, which was, which is an institution. And I saw my tape there on the shelf next to the ice teas, next to the public <laughs> enemies, next to the, the Dell, the punk, the homo sapiens, you know, like it was, next, you know, it was there. And I was like, I could see it like, Oh yes. You know, like I'm, 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 I'm going like, I don't care where this goes from now. I'm just going, you know? Yeah. And, and from then on, you know, like, and you know, then I partnered with Daniel, Daniel son, and or who was part of that tape, but he also taught me a lot about, you know, because you know, I'm Islander, I'm running on Islander time, you know, to turn up at 12, I'll turn, oh, yeah, 1 30, yeah, I'll be all right. And but he would constantly be like, you know, you can't, you can't do that, you know, I'm waiting here, you know, we got work to do, and and so he he introduced a lot of that, and you know, com, you know, combination of everything, and just brought me to where I am today. About 10 years ago now, actually, I lived in, in Venice Beach. I was just about the end of a decade of living in America. And I was in Venice Beach and I was with, a, I lived in a, the back house of a kind of compound that had a few houses, two houses on it. And the, the woman in the front, she had two two kids, like, like eight and 10. And she had gone, she was an artist. She'd gone to this massive art college in Chicago. Uh, so I, how did you get into this art college? Did you have to submit a, a portfolio? She goes, oh, fuck yeah. Like this huge thing, uh, canvases and all the kind of things. So, so you get to art school and you already know how to paint. You already know how to use, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do they teach you? She goes, oh, they don't teach us how to paint. <laughs> they teach you how to replicate creativity. That is what art school right. is, yeah, three yeah. hours, like three years of it. I said, what do you mean? Yeah. She goes, oh, so it's such and such a Picasso painting. I can't remember the name of it, but let's, you know, mm. maybe the one with the, the the five women in the in the, in the the five sex workers. Uh, uh, she goes, you only ever see that. And she goes, what you don't see, and then she said, they, they showed us a picture of Picasso's studio, and there's 116 versions of it all set around the walls. Yeah, wow. Well, well, yeah. But that's the one that he released. And she goes, it's, you just show up every day. You get there on time. You pick up the brush and you go and trust that the creativity will arrive. But if you don't get to the studio, if you don't pick up the brush, it'll never happen. It's so I'm, interest, yeah. I'm interested to hear yeah, like well. in your experience, the idea of just, I don't care if it's our line, the idea of just showing up and putting pen to paper and being prepared for it to be shit. What, what mm -hmm. role does that play <laughs> in ultimately coming up with the thing that, oh, this is the one I'll release? Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Like for everyone, it's, it's different. I'm, I'm very fortunate that I was always inspired, always motivated. And and maybe it is because of that. I, you know, I never really thought about it. It's, it's maybe 
because I would always have the rhyme book with me and would always either draw or write a line. But every day, without doubt, you know, for hours, would be doing something. So maybe it was that training of the brain or, you know, training of the energies or how, whatever you want to call it. It would just constantly come. And, you know, I think also growing up in Queenbian, maybe, the, you know, if you weren't playing sports, maybe if you were skating or something, but th- there wasn't much else to do. You know, summer you'd probably go to the pool, but, you know, I would hang out with family. That was, that was beautiful, of course. And that was a source of inspiration for me yeah. as well. Later on, when I had kids um, and was kind of working outside of music, that's when I really had to, to tap into that source of creativity because a lot of things, you know, as you would know, like a lot of things were kind of pushed to the back because there were other priorities and responsibilities. Yep. And I just want to go into the story because it's very important and, and it talks to your question is, you know, I saw a healer about it. I, I didn't, I wasn't particularly going to see her about this, but my wife was going and she said, oh, I think you should come. And I said, okay. And she said, um, but you need to go with intent. And I was like, well, you know, I, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'm pretty sweet. But uh, I don't think I have anything in particular to go to see her about. And my wife said, oh, you know, you know, I, I, you know, for me, I think you're not living up to your full potential. And I was, I was kind of taken aback, like, what? But, I, you know, I took, a, I, I took that on board and, and saw the healer. And, and, yeah, she was like, yeah, I understand. There are all these things that are uh, in the way of music, but music is what makes you, makes you ha- truly happy. So we have to figure out a way to, to tap into that creativity because there's, there's no longer that whole day process of finding it because you've got yeah. so many other things to do. Like you're going to have to designate a time to be creative and, and get to it, you know, because as you know, as a creative, you just, you're kind of waiting for it to come a lot of the times. But she made it, made it a thing to be like, no, this is your time to do it, and that's when you have to do it. You're not going to pull off the most amazing turn uh, surfing if you don't mm. paddle out. You just got to put the yeah, wetsuit yeah. on. You just got to go. You got to get out there. There was something that I'm kind of interested, and I do want to talk to you about this because I think you have a, a unique perspective of it. I remember the way that I loved bands and I loved music in a time of cultural scarcity, how – in a time of this is the one oh, is the one Easy E song and the one NWA song that I have <laughs> on this tape, all right? Or this is the one video that I caught off Rage. And I will watch it 10 times a day because that's yeah. the only one I've got. And I will study every single nuance of it, every bar, every mm-hmm. hi-hat, every bass line. Oh, that other rapper came in here. Ah, where's that sample from? Who plays bass there? And how that repetition and that just uh, appreciation of it combined with, as you mentioned before, there's nothing else to do. I'm bored. My subconscious is full of this thing. I'm going to create something based upon what I've been feeding my subconscious. So that, that, mm-hmm. that was a time where both you and I kind of grew up. I'm a bit older than you, but we grew up in that time. Versus now yeah. where I have... And I, I remember, I remember going to going to Sydney to buy records from Brisbane mm. because that was the only place yeah. in the country I'd go to Utopia because it was the only place I could get these metal <laughs> yeah, records. Yeah. Right? They didn't have them in Brisbane. And I, oh, here's this vinyl that cost me like a week <laughs> yeah. pay, and I'd listen to it. <laughs> yeah. just, 
<laughs> hundreds of times and digest Look every single part of it. Everything, yeah. That versus I have every song ever recorded in the palm of my hand, <laughs> so I will stop listening eight bars in and listen to something else. And I'm never bored. So in your mind, like how how does how, how does creativity get affected by the second scenario when we have nothing but everything and we are never bored? That's interesting, yeah. I was just thinking about the other day, like um, you're talking about your trip coming from Brisbane. I would do that from Queanbeyan. Yeah. Like catch the bus up and go shopping and 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 just have even buying an album and then trying to you know if it's a bad album trying to convince yourself that it was good because you yeah. spent the money and yeah like, fuck, i've done that like, oh, no, 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 i think i do like this right you're like yeah you know maybe only half of it's cool no it was worth it you know? yeah yeah and those trips were made you appreciate that music yeah. a lot more whereas now like you said you have like millions of songs in the palm of your hands and you're just like skipping through them you know, like my like my daughter, she she likes to watch trailers. <laughs> I'm like, she won't watch movies. She'll just watch the trailer and then watch the next trailer and watch the next trailer. And I'm like, why don't you watch the movie? And and I kind of get it. You know, like they kind of get in the gist of the movie in two minutes, yeah. and then you know. And I think that's what music has become as well. You know, it, it's no longer where you put on the tape and you go let the tape play through, and then you flip the tape over. You gotta let the whole tape play through as well. Now it's just skipping. I mean, like we had that with CDs, but yeah. you know, I think it's just so overwhelming now. You know, not only with music but with visuals, content, everything, and yeah. and, and 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 the fact that it's it's so hard to, you know, as an artist, try and figure out how to cut through all that and differentiate yourself from from other artists. What do you tell the artists that you're mentoring and, and you're working with? What do you tell them when it comes to almost how to prepare for, you know, this is where the creative stuff, do you like try, try not to listen to, to other stuff? Do you say, I'll just kind of maybe listen to a bit more of that? Do you say, maybe take a holiday, leave your phone at home? Like, what do you, what do you tell them? Yeah, all of that, you know, whatever works. I definitely tell them you need to be truthful with yourself. Yeah. And why are you making music? Are you making music because it makes you feel good? It's self-expression. Or you make music because it's it's a cool thing to do now. Like you want the views, you want the um, streams. Once you figure that out, that's how we move. Because, uh, but you know, in, in saying that, I tend to gravitate towards young artists who have already kind of made their mind up where they want to go. Yeah, and a lot of them aren't necessarily. I mean, obviously, we want the views and the streams, but their art is more important. Whether 10,000 people see it or a million people see it. And then it's about longevity and they understand that and understand that in, a, in, a, in an age of instant gratification, you may not get that. Um, and it might, might take you a few years before people cotton on to what you are really trying to do. And a lot of the artists I work with understand that and it's, it's quite refreshing because there are a lot of artists I come across that you know, I remember one artist said, oh, I've already uploaded 10 songs on SoundCloud. Like, why don't I pop it? I was like, you know, I mean, you have to still, you can be like, what the fuck? That's nothing. But you got to understand where they're coming from. You know what I mean? They that, they see, like, for a lot of artists, they even put out five and then all of a sudden playing Rolling Loud. You know, it's, 
it, it, it's about managing their expectations and, and that's that's super important tactfully as well Tact- tactfully because you yeah going back yeah. to the the parenting Honestly, mentor thing. i'm not saying don't give up i'm not saying don't stop yeah. trying i'm just saying I'm not saying you know, shit but no. listen yeah, yeah. We, we talked a bit about you know the idea of you know, Australia being a, a racist country, uh, many of people would like to think that we're not, but the, the new flash here is that we are, and we really have mm-hmm. to have a long, hard look at ourselves. You wrote about this in the book, and it really hit me because I used to work with the guy who wrote the Triple M promo, No Rap Crap. I worked <laughs> with him, yeah. and he yeah. thought it was the best thing in the world, and it was the defining uh, you know, definition branding point of that station that aired every 10 minutes, 24 hours a day for years. What does yeah. it feel like to turn on mainstream radio <laughs> and hear that? Yeah. I mean, part of me was like, oh, you fuck, I'm listening to what I listen to anyway. But another part of me was like, yeah, cool, you know, like hip hop, why, why be so blatant and almost hateful about it, you know, like just because you don't understand or play it. Like it's just not necessary to put that kind of energy out. Um, you know, but also it was, you know, hip hop was always a very DIY anti-establishment music and, and culture. So those kind of things would almost spur you on because uh, yeah now nah, fuck radio you know but I, I remember also being a kid and and kind of admiring people that could just turn on the radio and loved every song you know whereas i was like trying to search you know like oh i might get a michael jackson song here and there or or lionel richie or something but and it wasn't until i got older and discovered community radio and they had like specialty programs and you know, I, I don't think we place enough emphasis on community radio and how much they've contributed to not only hip hop but other, um, you know, other genres and, and, and really cultivated grassroots in, in Australia. You know, and you know, obviously we're Triple J and we can big up Triple J for taking it to the masses, but the, the community radio is, is very important because they're the ones really backing things from the start. You know. When, oh yeah, man! In Bri- in Brisbane, that is the only. Triple Z were the only people playing Public Enemy, the only people playing NWA, the only people – like I heard Body Count on on Triple Z before I heard it anywhere. Body Count, when Ice-T came out with Body Count um, and particularly the song, there was two huge songs on that first Body Count record that people fucking shut themselves. Like I remember playing it. I remember playing that record and like – at home. Thinking I was watching Evil Dead and I had to pause it like, whoa, whoa <laughs> hey, the fuck, what is this? Yeah. yeah. You know, and people were terrified. So there was uh, There Goes the Neighborhood and Cop Killer. Um, Cop Killer, yeah. Which, you know, you, I'll, if you're listening to this, go enjoy watching the, the stories that you'll find online about when Cop Killer came out and Charlton Heston and all that shit. But they were so fucking terrifying because they were using metal or rock and roll, like yeah. language. Uh, again, a non-visual language, a non-verbal language that uh, wasn't really associated with Afri- African-American people. And mm. there goes the neighborhood is pretty much said like, who let them in the club? Who let them play? This <laughs> yeah. is just for white people. You're not allowed to do this. And people were terrified. And 
only occasionally have bands that dangerous shown up. And yeah. I would argue, I would argue that AB Original uh, in our country uh, yeah, are, are that dangerous. That was a NWA public enemy moment. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like, and and then one four shows up, and people shit their pants <laughs> because like. <laughs> How? No, no, no! You can't talk about that. So if you can't, you can't talk. You're not allowed to talk about this stuff. And the response is like, "This is the stuff in my neighbourhood, in mm. the system that you are in charge of. I'm fucking talking about it." And it's that mm. uncomfortable conversation that I think is at the root of why certain authority figures are are uh, weird about one four. What do you remember about the first time you heard you heard one four? I was just excited because. You know, obviously, I was listening to music similar to that that was coming out of the UK. And, you know, growing up through the 80s and, and 90s, there were groups like, you know, like Buddy Count and NWA. Ghetto Boys was another another <laughs> one. Ghetto Boys! Of first, yeah, I remember the, the first time I listened to Ghetto Boys was on this tape. It was a dub of a dub of a dub that Frank gave me. And so it was kind of like a bit warped. And that just added to, like, yeah, <laughs> like the, the scariness of it all. I was listening to it in my room, and I think that was I had that body cam moment. It was the first time I was listening to it. I was like, "Oh, oh no, I, what is this? Like, what am I listening to?" And yeah. um, but yeah, so you know, I, I I grew up listening to that kind of stuff. So when it came to one four, the, I was more excited that it was coming out from Australia this time. Mm. You know, because there were the, these these young men from a, a certain environment. Uh, being like raw, being honest about you know their up their upbringing and what they do, and again, it, it's that element of, of danger and anti-establishment that um, that I was excited about. But even beyond that, it was their musicianship. You know, like yeah, they were talking. You know, it was quite violent and there was a lot of energy, but there were still excellent rappers at the end of the day, and. You know the combination of all of that, like was I was excited, and and you know the the young Pacific Islanders, I, I saw them, and they look like my nephews, you know my yeah. my little cousins, and and yeah, I, I just knew that this type of music and their voice needed to be empowered. This brilliant scene you painted in the book of meeting them in a in a restaurant, and it's just so I won't spoil <laughs> it, but it's 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 beautiful. It's a beautiful moment actually. It's really lovely the way you describe the <laughs> restaurant. They clearly have an extraordinarily strong vision, an unshakable vision. How do you fit into that? How do you help them understand, like, I can see where you are. If you just kind of move this a little bit that way or this a bit mm -hmm. that way, here's where it can go. Yeah. That, that is, you know, and again, that is credit to them for, for wanting to meet up, for, for being open enough to listen. And... I knew they knew what they wanted to do, but they just kind of lacked the knowledge of, of how to do it efficiently. And that's where yeah. I came in. I, you know, one of my first questions was, you know, besides the legalities, you know, the, the legal troubles you're having, what is stopping you from from diving headfirst into this? And they said, studio. They would they would use a un street uni studio, but you know that was a few far between. And and so I said, yeah, like. If I can get you a studio, like we turn up, and they said, you know, name me a date, a place, and we'll be there. And they and they did. They rocked up on time, ready to go, and 
I just was able to introduce like structure, how how to use your voice, like what words that would fit better with other words, you know, just kind of, I, I guess a lot of fine tuning, you know, because yeah. I, I didn't want them to lose any of their rawness because that, that was the charm of, of what they did, you know, like it was a bit rough around the edges. Sometimes the, the flow was a bit ahead of the beat, but that didn't matter. It, just, it was just about kind of capturing that energy and then uh, within the studio, you know, because I also said like no drugs and no alcohol in the studio. And they were like, okay, you know, you know I said, you know, when you Why come would here, you do that? What you do out, I just didn't want them to feel like the studio was party time. Like a lot of artists, you know, you go there and they, you know, they think it's the time where they smoke weed and have the drinks and have the girls around and they just kind of, it's like a, like, like I said, like a party. I said, nah, this is a working environment, man. Like we come here. Like what you do outside the studio, that that's on you. You know, you you're young adults, but when you're here, this is when you work, and you know you, you have to listen to what I say. Uh, not me telling you what to do, but listening to what I say. Um, and, and they did, and, and you know, I mean, there was a few hairy moments outside of the studio that you kind of have to deal with. But what was important to me is that they turned up and they were ready to record, ready to write, ready to listen, and, and they did. Listening to, and like, you know, most people who are nearly 50, I discover a lot of new music through the kids in my life, the young people in my life, and I discovered 1-4 um, through G. And listening to Shanks and Shivs the first time, I was like, oh, fuck. You know, it was just, just <laughs> yeah. blow, like, this is Sydney, <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. I mean, even the video, you're just like, oh, Oh, shit. my God. Amazing. But <laughs> reading in the reading in the book, we talked about work ethic before. Reading in the book, the that v- these young men were ready to work, to show up mm. and work. Like you, you talk about our oh, studio time. So they were trying to record this song an hour at a time, a few weeks apart. That's hard to get continuity. It's hard to keep yeah. showing up. It's hard yeah. to keep being. And there. even then, they said that when they had that hour at Street Uni. They'd watch YouTube for 40 minutes and then be like, oh, there's 20 minutes left. We better start uh, working on the song. You know, whereas in my domain, it was like, get there. We're kicking off straight away. Yeah. And de- describing the work ethic made me, I, 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 you know, that was the insight to, to why they are who they are now is, mm. oh, they are ready to go. They are not here to fuck spiders. This is, they are on. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and it was actually really, I was so proud. I was stoked to see that you know, that they take this as seriously and this is super important for them to, mm-hmm. you know, to communicate. It would, you know, to, to talk about a band like One Four without talking about the, you know, the legal issues around them. What's it like trying to be a part of helping a band where some of the people in the band are behind bars? Yeah. It is tough, you know, because... Oh, before we go into that, I was laughing to myself when you're talking about Shanks and Shivs. You know, and I think I talk about it in the book where um, we get in there, we're all kind of sitting in the studio, and we're like, okay, like, you know, we have some beats. Like, what's the first song we're going to do? And uh, I think it was YP. So he's like, Shanks and Shivs. And I was just like, oh my god, okay, this is where we're starting. Like, I was just like, because it was just so blatant, you know, like in your face and. But you can't stop that kind of stuff, you know, like. But if they're trying to describe if I was feeling like, their life. Yeah, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, the other songs they they do talk about it, but the title was something else. But then the, the title of the song was Shanks and Shears, and I was just like, okay, all right, if this is gonna be it, then let's go. But yeah, like dealing with that, uh, yeah, it's a learning experience. I, like I never learned about the law so much than dealing with those guys, you know. Yeah. And you know, a lot a lot of the reason why they went inside is happened before we met. Yeah. And you know, we've we've had conversations about that. And, you know, sometimes I would say like, oh, we, we wish you, we had met you before because it would have given us something to work towards, and maybe we wouldn't have ended up um, where we ended up. But you know, it is what it is, and, and that kind of it kind of built them to where they were anyway. You know, and Ricky, I'm not sure if you know Ricky. He manages them now. He's a good friend of mine. Like he he has dealt with a lot of that as well. And you just I don't know. You just have to adapt and, and navigate it as best as you can yeah. because you know you do mentor them, but it, it's mainly on, on the music level, and you and you try to mentor them as a as a um, as an elder as well, but they also have their own parents. You know, yeah. like they're you know you, you don't want to be trying to act like their parent either. You know, when they have parents, that you know they could easily just be like, "Well, we're here for the music, man. We're not we're not here for you to parent." Yeah, yeah. So you know, and like everything else, it's like, look, the options are there. If you take this option, this is where it's most likely going to end up. If not, then we're going to be doing this, and we, you're going to be better for it. Uh, you know, I would often say too, like because they still get, especially in those early days, they were still heavy in the streets, and all these blogs would be coming up on i i you know, uh, Instagram, and people sending videos of stuff happening out in the streets, and I would just be like, oh man, you know, um, and it'll be a bit of a headache. But you know, the biggest story was always about providing them an option of getting out of that and using music as the vehicle. And music was my specialty and me being a Pacific Islander as well, we had that connection and they looked at me like like an uncle. But at the same time, they're young adults and they're going to they're, they're do what they're going to do. Re- reading about how uh, and being aware of, you know, what was happening, how um, law enforcement in, at least in New South Wales, we're just doing everything they could to stop these guys performing live, mm-hmm. like and they, or, or like or putting cease and desist orders on the streaming services. You know wh- why? Yeah, why, do you to, th- yeah. why do you think? What's what's behind that? Man, I, I, to be honest, I don't know. We can we can talk about like systematic racism. We can talk about biasness, bigotry, all of that. You know, I think the thing that kind of makes me laugh is how they don't recognize. Them doing all of that just makes them bigger, mm. makes one for bigger, more notorious. You know, people, oh, people that hadn't even heard of them, but have heard of them only through them being in the newspaper, their shows being shut down. You know, people, are, yeah. oh, have you heard of this group one four? And like, you know, but that's the argument was always like, yeah, but you guys want these guys off the street, right? Like, so you're you're essentially blocking that channel of them being able to earn money and then not wanting to earn money off the street. So like, which one do you want? Yeah. Like, do you, are you, you want to force them back on the streets or do you want them to find somewhere else where they can earn money and, and move their family out of their area? You know, you can't have it both ways. 
part part of part of me uh, and nice from from the area. Nice. Uh, part of me, um, <laughs> part of me is like, like, why, why would why would you deny these people who are Australians and live in Australia mm. and are Australian citizens? Why would you deny deny them talking about and describing what their actual day to day life is like uh, as a result of the systems that our country has in place? Mm. Is it because you don't want those outcomes? to be known of the systems like part of it is like they are who they are because of the systems that you're upholding surely that system needs help if this is what fucking is happening all right surely it's like for me it blows my mind yeah yeah and you know there was a a great story that was written by um by osman faruki about you know he interviewed the i think it was the commissioner or something and and oz was saying like oh you know they're rapping about what they know and they goes oh they should make um they should write but i'm no artist but i think they should write about love and stuff but i was like <laughs> first of all yeah you are no artist and you know like how are you going to tell these guys what to write you know yeah they, they write about what they know what they're accustomed to what they're experiencing and like you said you can't deny them that you know you can't deny them to to be able to earn a living off you know off a passion and essentially yeah. Get them out of your hair. So you're like, <laughs> let them do it, you know. <laughs> and for anyone that is maybe has stopped this podcast to go and, you know, go and listen to some one four <laughs> and then their knees are shaking a bit. How how can we talk to our kids? And like if our kids are we find them listening to one four or drill rap or, mm. or skepta or whatever, like how can we talk to them about that music that isn't don't you listen to that? Because that'll just make them want to listen more. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, exactly. That's the way of a young isn't it? Like, oh, don't do that. And you're like, oh, okay, not okay. I'm going to go do it. And so, I, you know, I knew that, and I know like drill and a lot of hip hop is quite explicit. And so, yeah, it was just talking about, you know, well, first of all, my my son's quite inquisitive, so he would ask a lot of the questions first, and that's how it became, you know, explaining why the things that they talk about, why they talk about it, why they they feel it's important to say it, and also understand that for every, you know, there are consequences for your actions. And, you know, he would ask, like, oh, why are they in prison? And I would simply say, like, well, they broke the law. And sometimes when you break the law, you have to pay debt to society. And that sometimes includes going to prison. And so you, you just make people understand, oh, well, you know, my kids understand. Because my, my son sees them, he sees himself in them. In the fact that you know they're Pacific Islanders, not you know for any other reason, but and he likes the music and the energy. But it is about breaking down why why they say it and why they feel the way they feel, and you know you you as a kid growing up in the eastern suburbs, you know you you, you can't necessarily do that because that's not your environment. That's you know that's not where you, you come from. Um, but you know, still enjoy the music. And my son, he, he senses himself too when he raps. Like he raps along to the songs and he cuts out the swears and you know, and it's not a constant thing either. He doesn't only just listen to drill or whatever, but yeah. just when he does, it, it's I think it's important to to have that conversation. G G does that. G, I noticed that G was doing that early too. G was doing that. You know, eleven or twelve. You know, she would. Yeah. Um, not say that word and um, yeah. 
Yeah, it was always always a pretty cool. Yeah, like, you're right. This is a great line of the book that you write. It's like just because my son wraps along and and says the word shank doesn't mean he's going to go use one. Yeah, you know, because I think you know, there's you know, there's a, a moment there too where a lot of young Islander kids were getting stabbed and, and killed, and and our community was, oh, it's because of one four, it's because of drill music, and I think that's just the easy escape. You know what I mean, and you know, there were the conversations I would have with my 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 kid as well, and um, you know, it's it's deeper than music, like you say. You know, it's it's the structure, it's it's the system, and and it's just about understanding all of that. Speaking of the speaking of the system, you you jump in both feet, and you're uh, you know for a decade and a half yeah, on the national broadcaster, being the voice, <laughs> yeah. being the voice of Australian uh, of the Australian hip hop scene. And look, I, I don't think I'm saying anything out of school, but Triple J historically struggled to play black music. Mm. But then you know you, you look at the forty years of Triple J and look how many. Black artists were on that, you know. Mm. What was it like to be within that system, trying to yeah. push or trying to celebrate this uh, this form, this art that speaks to mm. so many people who are Australian, and yet still be within this system that's like, yeah, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting when I was offered the job. I did think a lot about that, you know, and, and a lot of my peers. Had, Felt a certain way about Triple J at the time, uh, and because of that reason, you know. And but I just remember my uncle would always say, you know, like it's, it's easier to change something from within, you know. And, and I thought about that, like, okay, if I get into Triple J, that would be able to give me a platform to support the music I love and and the art, give the platform to artists I feel needed, you know, to be empowered. And and you know, full credit to to Triple J because they were like that. They said, you know, we we like what you do. We know you know your shit. So just make the show yours. And and that's what I did, you know, and, and I will play anything and anyone I, I, I felt needed to be heard, whether it was a kid who just popped out a tape, you know, bad quality, but you could see the potential to your Nazis and Jay-Z. And uh, it was a tremendous responsibility but something i you know i took on wholeheartedly and just like you you know just the passion for music it, it just drives you and and uh i'm fortunate that you know my golden era is the late 80s and early 90s but still love everything that's coming out today and you know it's kept me in touch with you know the younger generations and and in a lot of ways you know kept me young at heart and um it was, it was a beautiful run, and you know, I have a lot of love for Triple J, and um, just hope they continue with um, you know backing backing these artists in Australia. Stepping away from uh, a job like that is a big deal. Yeah, I told him I said, "What you know, you got to fire me because I'm not leaving on my own accord." Uh, yeah. Not that they fired me, but like. Yeah, yeah. Again, it was a, it's a tremendous honor, and, and I loved that responsibility. And but you know, the, the young generations they they have to have the opportunity to start their own legacy, build their own legacy, yeah. and that's not going to happen if I'm going to be there for forty years. I mean, forty years is long enough, but I think my role by me was needed to kind of bridge a lot of gaps. 
And now we're at a certain place where we can have the younger generations come through and take it on from there. And, and I'm excited by that. You know, I'm excited to find the, the not even the next how, like the, the new whoever, to, to build on and add on to what has already been built. Just a moment away from how we'll be back in just a moment with how to just remind you to please get around these shows we're doing in Sydney. If you if you ever get the feeling that you want to be less alone when you watch the news, you want the feeling of I can't be the only one that thinks this is all crazy, come be in a room with all the people who will laugh with you and laugh. We can laugh together as the world burns. I mean, why not? It's a lovely experience to, to laugh at the same time another person and I really want you to come be part of it and it'd be nice to see you it's been years since we've been able to go out on the road um, the tickets are in the show notes Sydney show is only 20 bucks each we're at the Factory Theatre in Marrickville and um, yeah I'd, lo- I'd love to see you there I'd love to see you come and say hi we're back in a moment with how lots of Kfu. we're going to have to pay some bills here so we are going to play some ads if you don't hear some ads lucky you Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I, I remember interviewing, I can't remember who, it was an Australian hip-hop band at the time, and they were really vocal, like, you know, I never hear anybody giving shit to it as a, a rock and roll band for singing an American accent. But why do they give me mm. shit? For, for rapping in an American accent. And at the time, I can understand you're, you're imitating the only music that you know. And, you mm. know, art is a conversation. All art is a conversation. Mm. You know, Silverchair mm. put out a record. What was in a response to us? Because what they were hearing on the radio, right? So yeah. over time, you know, we've kind of evolved from this, you know, taking this thing and not exactly replicating it, but, you know, doing a version of it to thank you very much. We'll take these building blocks and now we're just going to, you know, Yes, I know it says spaceship on the front of the Lego box, but I'm going to build a fucking, you know, tree, <laughs> yeah. you know. I'm, I'm yeah. going to build a pressure cooker, whatever. W- where do you see this genre of art, this genre of music going in Australia? Oh, man, that's, a, that's a, quite a hard and broad question. I, I just feel with the new generations coming through, we will essentially eventually find our own sound. No, I think we're kind of scratching the surface right now, um, you know, because I think we, obviously we have some great, great artists. Um, but at the end of the day, we're still doing our versions of Drill. We're doing our versions of Grime. We're doing our versions of Trap. And they're good versions. But, you know, there never really has been an Australian hip-hop sound. And that's why I was an advocate for using our accent, natural accent, because that was what was going to automatically differentiate us 
yeah. from artists from the US, from the UK, Europe, and you know, the, the accent and our subject matter. But in terms of sound, you know, I think the closest we, we, that I've seen was uh, Hooligan Hefts and his kind of mix of, of hip hop, drill, and like EDM. And like, it's not my sound. But it was really a kind of oh shit, this is uniquely Western Sydney, like right. you know, just that kind of high energy, but with the raps and you know they're dancing, and I was like, oh wow, this is this is like you know, essentially could be like our grime, you know, because that's yeah. uniquely British, you know, the same as drill and jungle yeah. and all that. But yeah, so I think this, you know, us finding our unique sound where. People around the world go, oh, that must be Australian because, you know, yeah. for better or for worse, that's our sound. How, when the, you know, the, the Australian music, you don't get into Australian music to make a lot of money. You know, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, you've got to, it's just, unfortunately, it's just how it is. How do you keep your feet on the ground? How, when it, when, you know, when the bills are piling up or, you know, between tours or this gig didn't come through or something happened, mm. like how, how do you keep your feet on the ground? How do you keep your, your head high? What are some things that you do to deal with things when it's hard? Yeah, I, I had to, I had to work, you know, like uh, for when I first moved to Sydney, uh, you know, we had just won an ARIA award but I was working retail, you know, like that's just what you have to do. Like by any means, you know, you, you work to support your dreams or, or your passion and just knowing that and knowing that is fine as well, you know, cause I think there's a, you know, a, a kind of shame, like you, you, you know, you're just, you're a rapper, but then you, you're a tradie at the same time. It's like, no, that's, that's like you said, that's just the way it is. And, you know, there are very few that get to live off purely off making music, make a living off making music. And I've been fortunate enough to to be one of those, you know, not purely releasing music, but just involving music, like whether it's radio, this book now, working on some TV stuff. Um, it's just constantly working and, and uh, evolving, you know, with the young artists I work with, I, I tell them, I say, look, you being an artist is, is what you should do. Like concentrate on that, be the best artist you can be, but also know that this is just a starting point. You know, because I was that position before and I didn't know if I was going to be on radio. I didn't know. I, hell, you know, there's no way I thought I was ever going to write a book. But these opportunities came up and I, and I took them. And it was because I, I would constantly work, whether it's retail or, you know, like mixing concrete. I, I did what I needed to do in order to um, keep this passion alive because that's what made me truly happy. And getting out out of bed on a stinking hot, you know, western like Queanbeyan or you know New South yeah. Wales day to go and mix some concrete, you're you're happy to go and do it because that's funding ultimately funding the thing you love to do. Yeah. I'm definitely not happy, but yeah. <laughs> definitely not happy doing, but having, but you're right. Like having the knowledge of like, okay, I'm going to get some money and this is going towards something, you know? And, yeah. and you just got, you just got to do it. I, I, I love, I love that man. Cause that, that's, mm. I can't remember. I think, was it Cormac McCarthy? So I, I work to not work. You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's perfect, yeah. 
Exactly, you know, and I think, and also I often thought, you know, I would do retail like 10 hours or eight hours or 10 hours or something, and I would find myself missing music. And that was important, yeah. you know, because I was constantly thinking about, oh, I can't wait to get home and write this bars down or, you know, this beat or whatever. And, and just kind of, yeah, you know, like distance makes the heart grow fonder. Like, I think that was part of it. How is there a, is there a mixtape based upon all the music you put in the book? Uh, no, there isn't. I should put one together, at least a playlist. Dude, but, you know, can you yeah. please make a playlist? Yeah, yeah. Because when you, I got to the Souls of Mischief, uh, uh, I got to the 93 till Infinity chapter. I was like, fuck yeah, Souls of Mischief. I'm like, I, I, yeah. I want, I want that. I want the Rage playlist. I want. I want to hear it. I want to hear all these songs in a row. Yeah, I remember Rage saying they had the the hip hop special nights. Man, I used to live for that night. But it'd be always the same. It'd be like Public Enemy, Night of Living Bassheads, Third Base, um, Gas Face, uh, Power by Snap. You know, like it was always the similar yeah. ones. But man, those, those were some awesome nights. Please put together a playlist. I don't care where you put it. <laughs> Just put put it yeah. out with the book. It's like this is the sound. This is the soundtrack. Here's the book. Off you go. Because yeah, yeah. It, no, I'll definitely get onto that. I want to hear. I want to hear De La Soul as I imagine what was happening to you at the gig. I don't want to spoil it, but man, that broke my heart. Yeah. That part of the book. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> but yeah. I, 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 mate, I that, could. I, like I said. I could talk to you for hours about this shit, but like, honestly, cause thank you so much for writing this book and thank you so much for documenting so much under the, under the guise of, you know, it's an autobiography you, you have of, of a, of a musician in Australia. You have also written so beautifully about the Pacific Island diaspora, uh, uh, which has many commonalities, whether they be from Tonga or Samoa or Fiji or, you mm. know, um, any other part of the country, any other part of the Pacific. And it's, it's a beautiful story because it's a, it is, it is as much an Australian story as anything else. And I'm just so yeah, freaking that, grateful you wrote it, man. It is a very Australian story, you know, and that's what people want to get across to people. So yeah, thank you. I appreciate those beautiful words and I appreciate you. You know, like I said, I, I grew up watching you through Channel <laughs> V and you know, venturing off doing a lot of presenting work and radio and, you know, you're 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 very loved in this household. You know, my kids love my singer. They love you That's know. Fun. They see my 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 wife was you know bachelor. So you know, you're very <laughs> much part of the very oh, much man. part of the Latukefu household. How you're amazing! Thanks for writing this book. It's great. It's such a beautiful trip, such a journey, and uh, you know the music was in my head the whole time. And you're just you're just the best. How thanks, H man. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for your time. That was how Latukefu, hip-hop royalty in Australia. You can find him online everywhere that you need to find people online. H-A-U-L-A-T-U-K-E-F-U, How Latukefu. Also, search for Coolism, K-O-O-L-I-S-M. He's just like a god of hip-hop in Australia. His, his new book is called King. It's out wherever you get your books. It's, it's, to be honest, it's a great Australian story. Love it. Tomorrow, I'm driving to Queensland, and we're on a break. But don't worry, there will still be episodes for you to listen to, still be episodes for you to catch up on. Our annual Summer Best Of is upon us, and what I do every year is I ask the people that work on the show, most regularly, so Andy, Rachel, and Bree, I say, what are your your favorite episodes of the year? What are the ones that really hit for you? And they're the ones that are going to play out uh, over the summer break, uh, because you might have missed them through the year, 
and they're that good they deserve a second listen and they're all real good you know there are, there are a bunch of great episodes for you summer listening like if you missed anything over the last year or if you've just joined us these are the best of best of 2022 all right so you're just coming in hot the greatest hits if you will well worth listening to i'll do my best to check in with you as we go along and um i think we're back with I'll try to get in. I'm all over the shop, but look, I've got a phone, I've got a microphone, and I've got a dongle that um, gets Wi-Fi wherever I'm going to be. So hopefully I'll be able to check in with you as much as I possibly can. Stay safe, have fun, keep breathing. I'll see you in a couple of days. Thanks so much to uh, Bree Steele, who did the research on this show. Uh, Bree uh, worked at Triple J for a long time, so she is in awe of how and the ability that how has to help not only young musicians, but also young presenters. And um, he's quite quite a hallowed man in the halls of Triple J. Uh, also to uh, Andy Ma, who did audio post on this show and video post on this show. And uh, Rachel Barrett, whom I just flew back on a plane with from Melbourne, uh, which was a, a, a whole ton of fun. It was really good. Uh, look after yourself. I'm going to go lie down. <laughs> I'll see you in a couple of days. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.